Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast, episode 81. Today we are talking all things Bahrain. Hey guys, this is Electro. Hey guys, I'm Guardian. This is Daps. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Ferry. Code Zero. Flusher. This is Kerrigan. Are you listening to the Truth? The Truth. The Truth. The Truth. The Truth. The Truth CSGO podcast. The Truth CSGO podcast. The Truth CSGO podcast. Are we rushing in or are we going sneaky beaky like? Okay, so Blast Pro has just announced that their final game of the year will be taking place in Bahrain for $500,000, and that's going to be their ultimate, I guess, tournament uh, for the year, and was supposed to be where the top six teams, I believe, we're going to be hashing it out. It's going to be four at this point, but uh, probably like many of you, um, it did sound a bit strange to me that there was going to be a tournament held in Bahrain. I knew it was in the Middle East, but I didn't really know much about it. So we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into Bahrain and everything about it. I'm going to be basically doing a Wikipedia entry for you uh, this episode. Before we do that, and we do have a special guest, by the way, who's going to help out with that. Before we do that, just a bit of housekeeping. Uh, Some mates of the podcast, Ravel Gaming, have a free ticket to ESL 1 New York. If you recall, maybe last year or the year before, I had a free ticket as well to the two days. I could not give it away. I think I gave it away in the end to a listener, but it was very difficult. These guys are having the same trouble. So if you want that, either get in touch with me or you can contact Ravel Gaming uh, directly. That's at RevelG underscore esports. They're on Twitter. Or I've posted their initial Twitter ad on the Discord, so get into that. Now, following up on another issue that we were talking about a couple of episodes ago in, involving heart rate uh, and when I was sick, listener Brotep, Eamon Brotep, reached out and said that he believed the benefit while I was sick um, and playing get better Counter-Strike probably came from the slower information processing that my lower heart rate had um, or gave me. And that left me to rely on instinct more and prevented overthinking. Um, And so that he believed that I was probably playing worse, but more consistently. I think there's some truth to that. Um, Well, there's something like it that's truth. But in general, I think the truth is the fact that there was less stimulation coming in. I was not overthinking things. I think he's right there. Uh, I definitely wasn't overreacting. My responses to adrenaline spikes were very muted. There was less info coming in, and I was approaching the game far more instinctively um, in general. So, yeah, if you want to get better at CS, you want to rank up, just inject yourself with the flu virus, and you might have a good couple of weeks where you're uh, definitely playing a lot better. So now let's get into Bahrain. Now, we do have a special guest, as I mentioned. Her name is Pranali. She's actually lived in Bahrain, or visited, I should say. Visited. Visited. Um so the memories there are not probably very strong because how old were you when you went to Bahrain? Probably seven, so okay, really nothing. So, <laughs> so, so you're going to be useless. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you are also a qualified lawyer. Uh, I don't know what that counts for. Perhaps uh, that means you're um, not actually <laughs> qualified to talk about Bahrain at all. All right, well, what we're going to do is I'm just going to talk about Bahrain and the facts as, as far as I can do as far as I can tell, with some cursory Googling. Uh, And Pranali is going to jump in with some political info and human rights info, which actually I've seen uh, cited. People have been talking about their human rights uh, since this announcement was made. So let's get into it. Bahrain, the name actually means two seas, and this is an apt name for it because it's basically an island. It's, It's technically an archipelago of 84 islands, but really it's one big island, and it's in between Saudi Arabia and Qatar, 
And it's connected to Saudi Arabia by a 25 kilometer long overseas freeway, which is kind of crazy. It's a very small country. It's 1.2 million uh, population, which makes you wonder why the hell they are having a Counter-Strike tournament there. But um, <laughs> now Bahrain actually, since kind of recorded history, which is around about 300 BC, at least in terms of Bahrain, uh, was well known and consisted or subsisted on its pearl fisheries. And they were kind of the place to get your pearls right up until the 19th century. Uh, but these days, petroleum accounts for about 60% of their export and 70% of government, re- government, government revenue and about 11% of their GDP. And next in that line comes aluminium production and then finance and construction materials. And this is really uh, due to the fact that Bahrain is kind of the first and the best or the, what would, how would you say it, the most um, affluent post-oil um, economy. Yeah, that's the word. Uh, and that's mainly due to the fact that they uh, branched out in terms of finance. Uh, a lot of investments and trade links with Southeast Asia has helped them, especially in the post-2000 Southeast Asian boom. Yeah. I assume they've been writing that. Um, and so these guys have been recognized by the high, uh, by the World Bank as a high-income economy and are on the High Human Development Index. They are not, by any means, a small player in the financial scene. Now, in terms of the culture of the population, we should just mention very quickly that they are a majority of Muslim, but at, at times they have worshipped everyone from the Greek god Zeus to the Christian god, depending on which empire had control of them in which century. I believe even Portuguese have at some point had control of this country. Even now, I think they are quite tolerant of other religions. They have like temples there, churches, and mm. seem to be quite tolerant of okay. other populations. Well, that's interesting. Mm. They are actually a Shia Muslim, Muslim majority. Um, and even though the, the majority of the country's citizens are Shia, the royal family and the most Bahraini elites are Sunni. Now, if you're anything like me and Pranali, you need to Google watch the difference between Shia and Sunni. Uh, Every time I hear them, I always forget what the difference is and who's the majority or not. Sunni and Shia are the two main strains of Islam. And uh, there's 1.6 billion Muslims, right? And Sunni make up 87 to 90% of those. And Shia is 10 to 13%. So Sunni are a massive majority. Um, And the main difference really between these two uh, strains, uh, they believe that there were different successes to Muhammad. Um, and in terms of the texts as well and, and the religious teachings, the Sunni rely on the Sunnah, which is kind of basically, as far as I can tell, their version of the Bible. Uh, it's different to the Quran. And the Shia are guided more by the Ayatollahs, who are basically like the uh, divine representations of Allah or priests. Um, you probably heard about Sunni and Shia if you're like me and come from a Western country. And that's just as a side note, I think most of the listeners of this podcast are either Americans, Swedish, German or Australians. I think they make up, I think you guys make up about 60, 70% of the listeners. So I assume that, like me, you heard about Sunni and Shia um, in particular in the last decade uh, in terms of, in regards to the conflicts in Iraq and Syria. And the main distinction to remember there is that the Sunni were a much bigger part of the rebel groups in those countries and the conflicts that have been going on there, while the Shia were most often fighting with or for government. Now, the Shiites, who are the, how you say the Shia, actually believe in self-flagellation. Uh, that's something they do, I think, once a year to commemorate one of their martyrs and where they, they flog themselves during this and cut themselves with knives, um, which is, I think, taking the expression beating yourself up about something a little too far. 
Uh, now, in the early 1800s, Bahrain was a British protectorate, and we didn't know what protectorate meant, but... We did not. We did not. Do you want to say what it is? Um, well, from what I understood, it's that, um, well, Bahrain itself is able to maintain whatever inter- internal regulations that they have or laws um, amongst their own people, but when it comes to foreign relations and dealing with other countries or, I guess people coming into Bahrain from other countries, um, that would fall under the governance of the UK, was it? the Well, Britain? Yeah, that's right. And this, was in res- and this was in return for Britain basically protecting on land and sea Bahrain. It's kind of a weird codependent <laughs> relationship. Uh, these guys have not been a protectorate for a while. Um, we'll get to what happened then. Um, but currently... They are a constitutional monarchy. They're headed by Sheikh Hamad bin Issa al-Khalifa of the al-Khalifa family. Uh, the al-Khalifa family have been in control, you know, whether or not it was under protectorate, uh, since the 1700s. It's important to note that the al-Khalifas are not related to Wiz <laughs> Khalifa or Mia Khalifa, although perhaps ah. there is some sort of... Um, what a shame. Yeah, long, long um, I don't know, family tree there. Uh, but... <clears throat> The Khalifa, Al-Khalifa family have basically half the seats in government. Um, and politics is very confusing to me. Uh, and I'd like you to jump in uh, about politics in a moment. But for let's just go back to the economy for a sec. Mm-hmm. So they were pearl fisheries, basically. And... This changed in 1931 when oil was discovered by the Bahrain Petroleum Company, who sound like they're uh, a Bahrainian company, but they're actually a subsidiary to the Standard Oil Company of California. This catapulted the modern world into Bahrain, and these guys got very cozy with Britain very quickly. And in Bahrain actually even fought in World War II uh, alongside the Allies. So that's oh. crazy. Um, they did eventually get sick of Britain and all things British and declared independence in 1971. Um, but they signed a treaty of friendship <laughs> with Britain, which I don't know. But it's just a more codependence. Uh, <clears throat> so as we said, in 2008, these guys really started becoming the most successful post-oil economy in the Middle East because of mainly finance, but also tourism, which uh, we should just mention this blast um tournament is really not an anomaly these guys have been building up a soft power tourism for quite some time uh, if you're a formula one fan you might have noticed that the formula one have a track there if you are an, uh, a v8 supercar fan which is an australian nascar sort of equivalent those guys have been having um things there and they were also the first country or the first nation i should say other than the united states of america to host the international mixed martial arts federation world championships so they're obviously doing a lot of <clears throat> how do you say it well they're, they're putting a lot of money into promoting themselves as an international destination for these sort of tournaments i assume that the government has somehow reading about this subsidized the um holding of this blast pro tournament in the country um which i guess is putting them on the map somewhat in an esports 
um, way. Just before we get back to politics, because there's a lot to say about it, I guess, just to clear up just a few little um, statistics. Arabic is the official language, or Arab is the official language of Bahrain, although English is widely used. And it's a bloody hot country. They have an average high of 36.5 degrees Celsius in September. That's 97.7 for all you Yankees. And the average low is 28.6 or 83.5 Fahrenheit. That's... That sounds ideal, actually. (laughs) That's a bit steamy for me. Uh, The biggest expat community is actually Indians. They make up 290,000 of that 1.2 mil. Um, And here's another thing for you Yankees. Bahrain have had universal health care since 1960. Wow. Yeah. Say wow into the microphone, Pranali. Wow. (laughs) You know, the only thing that's really running rampant right now in uh, Bahrain health-wise is obesity. I think it was like 38% of men are obese or something. But the statistic that I am sure of is that 15% of the population suffers from diabetes. So if you're a sugary fan uh, and you're going to head over there for Blast Pro, you're going to have a lot of fun. (laughs) All right, let's get back to politics. Pranali, what have you got for us? Okay, well, it is very complicated. And yeah, the political structure is quite complicated. And it took me a while to get it. And I still don't think I um, understand it completely. So after they are declared independence in 1971, um, well, I found it quite interesting that it was actually a Sunni um, minority ruling over a Shia majority, which, like, in the scheme of everything else, um, it's just interesting because I guess Sunnis the minority in general, right? Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think in... So, in 1972, there was a decree that established um, a constitutional assembly in charge of implementing it and executing the country's first constitution. So, that's their form of, I guess an elected government, mm. which um, was still done under the authority of the emir. I does that does it. that mean there's there's vo- like there's voting? Yeah. So the national assembly would, um, which came, which came out of that um, constitution, would have been elected. Were they elected by the people? See, I'm not quite sure on that, but mm. I assume it would would have been. Who else would which they makes be elected them by? Democratic, somewhat. Yeah. But still under the influence of. Um, well, who else could it be elected by? It could be elected by the 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 sheikh, right? Yeah, true, true. I mean, that's what. So I believe it was initially elected by the people, which is why I think the issues arose in the first place that caused, you know, human rights violations and just other things um, that weren't favorable to the well, the Al Khalifa government. Um, which is why they dissolved it subsequently. And I think it would have been, yeah, 1975. Okay. So the National Assembly was um, dissolved after they convened for two sessions. And, um, yeah, so they were dissolved because they refused to ratify um, the state security law that caused a lot of issues down the track. But Which sounded like it would have just given Al-Khalifa, like, total hegemonic control or something like that. Yeah. Like crazy amount of control. Is that Pretty right? much, I think. Yeah, he, he didn't like. It was everything was um, to his discretion, I guess. Right. And yeah, just lawmaking and the idea of a national assembly might have seemed, you know, 
Just token. Yeah, just right. a token thing. So instead of that, so they were like, we don't want that. And he's like, all right, well, you guys are yeah, dissolved. You're forcibly dissolved. <laughs> um, right. So, yeah, the state security measures or the state security law, I think, um, that law, I guess, just allowed for the arrest and detention of up to three years for without trial of anyone suspected of posing a threat. And I just read a few of these articles and it seems as though they're quite, like, fluffy and you could incriminate someone based off very little evidence. And even then it's, yeah, like accounts of it and everything like that. It's quite fuzzy and, um, yeah, not really. Yeah, arbitrary abuse of power. Yeah, so that continued. Um, the National Assembly remained dissolved for 27 years. Uh, state security law was implemented by force within that time. And, yeah, uh, elections were postponed of the National Assembly that was dissolved. Um, and... Yeah, a lot of the articles pertaining to the National Assembly were suspended as well. Um, and then in 2001, when a new constitution was drafted under, I guess, there was another successor and the current king, actually. So a new constitution was drafted and that, um, I guess, he instilled this, not instilled, but implemented this whole, like, change of just... Yeah, implementing democratic policies. And when was this? 2001. So um, wasn't he the son of the, the guy who'd been in power? The grandson. Oh, okay. Yeah, so within right. that time, I guess. Yeah. And he was like, granddad, you're a tyrant. Pretty much, yeah. i got to open this, this country up to the people a bit more. But then what, weren't there, what, what caused these protests in 2011? So from what I read, oh, yeah. they were inspired by the Arab Spring. The Sunnis were like, why are we being ruled by a bunch of tyrannical Shia. Yeah. I feel as though the current king probably started off very idealistic and then a lot of things flew under the radar within that time and then as issues um, arose with, you know, civil unrest and things like that, I think they resorted to older measures of dealing with things. But I think there were instances where the UN and Amnesty International would you know, question them about that and the response would be, oh, like, yeah, we'll make sure we don't repeat mistakes of the past. You know, just mm. words, I wonder if, really. I wonder if considering that 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 previous, like, <clears throat> way of doing things as well was so entrenched. You know, you have, like, a whole system of people who are close to the family who are getting kickbacks from that sort of governance who, when this younger guy comes in, I think he was, wasn't that young anyway when he became no. like, in his 50s or something yeah. when he finally was shake. It's like, I want to change this country. And they're like, well, if you change the country, I'm not getting the kickbacks I was. So, no. Yeah. Is that, so I, think, I wonder if that happened as well. Yeah, probably like the advice he was being given or just, yeah, influences of his family basically might have, you know, let certain things just... His uncle Reg. Yes. <laughs> that's, Mate, that's the one. I've been getting these kickbacks for 40 years. <laughs> You want to come in and just change everything and make it a democracy? How dare you? <laughs> well, because some of those protests in 2011, weren't they like, they were, the whole idea was that they were pro-democracy, right? Yeah. They started in Egypt as being like, we need democracy. And that's my impression as well of the ones that were happening in Bahrain. as like, we need more democracy. See, I didn't read too much on that, but okay. yeah, I just am aware of the civil unrest and... Yeah, I found it quite interesting that the National Assembly actually, just going back a bit, um, it was dissolved and 
it remained, well, inactive for like about 27 years. But then I think the current king's predecessor, the one before him. Yep. Um, so the one in the in between, basically, that I didn't speak of. Um, he brought the National Assembly back, but this time chose who would be within the National Assembly. And they were a majority of them were just members of the Al-Khalifa family. Oh, it was puppets. It yeah, a puppet pretty much. Right. So, again, a token gesture. Right. But this time, even if they did something, it would be, you know, with the authority of the governing, like, I guess, the emirs of the... Uh, what are... Can you explain that? Cause <laughs> the difference between emirs and sheikhs? Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is where our research about Bahrain hits its brick. Yeah. That's all right. Keep going. What else we got? <clears throat> well, yeah. So that was quite interesting that they sort of tried to bring that back, but then also... You know, yeah, just put their own people in there, and it's yeah. Okay, well, let's wrap this up because we we don't we're not experts. We're not experts. <clears throat> what's the takeaway? What was happening right now? What I what I found out was that <clears throat> Bahrain is actually a non NATO ally of America in the region. Mm. They have a big military base there, apparently. Uh, Western clothing is common. Apparently, they legalized homosexuality in 1976, but many homosexuals have been arrested in the uh, intervening period, okay. uh, including people who are dressing up in drag. I don't know how common that is. It's very difficult to understand with the shallow research we've done. Um, what else do we know about it at this point in time? I guess from, yeah, just looking at their political history and everything right now, I think, yeah, the human rights violations and just, yeah, issues like that have come up a fair bit between 2001 and 2007, well, research suggests that it's on the rise. And I guess that's the state of it right now. It's just... Okay. So if you're a Counter-Strike fan or you're a Blast Pro fan and you're thinking of going to Bahrain, I think you're going to be fine. Yeah. Tourism is obviously a huge part of their economy. Mm -hmm. And were a Western tourist to be, uh, let's say, prosecuted or... Uh, hurt while they're over there it's going to be putting a big dint in their tourism dollar <clears throat> but i think you should practice caution and yeah and don't flaunt your um drag tendencies perhaps outside the arena i guess yeah <laughs> but otherwise definitely go boost the numbers because i don't know 1.2 million people i don't know how many counter-strike um, fans you have per capita in the middle east but i can't see that that's going to be even um, close to selling out a big arena. But I do think they have a huge expat community and it's just, it should be like, I mean, I imagine it to be a bit like Dubai, but less commercial and, you know, flamboyantly. Well, it's not about whether, whether or not they're native Bahrainians or expats. It's purely about the numbers, mm. about how many Counter-Strike fans oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> in any population in any given time there are. Um, well, that's about it on our Bahrain um, short dive, quick dive. Anything else to mention? Any recollections from your visit as a seven-year-old to Bahrain? Um, really, I learnt a lot from Wikipedia and my experience <laughs> as a seven-year-old has, um, yeah, definitely not stayed with me. Okay. I think that's, yeah, it was just a 
boring visit, I'd say, in all honesty. What did you even go there for? Um, I had an uncle that lived there. Uncle Reg? Uncle Reg. Um, <laughs> He's like, I got your cheap flights because of my kickbacks. <laughs> Pretty much. That's exactly how it happened. Um, yeah, so we visited him and his family, and it was fun, and I hung out with my cousins. Um, but other than that, I didn't go sightseeing or anything. Mm. Or Yeah. Useless. 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 All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, it was a quick one. And it was just to really give you guys a little bit of a um, a primer on Bahrain. Which you could have learned from Wikipedia. Which you could have learned from Wikipedia. <laughs> but why would you bother looking at a screen when you can listen to the dulcet tones of the truth and Pranali? Yes. <laughs> so music was by Beaufort.Asia. You can contact me, the truth at thetruthcsgo.com, especially if I've gotten something completely and utterly wrong about Bahrain or Sunnis and Shia, <laughs> Shiites. Um, and uh, in the meantime, enjoy the game. Yeah, this was lovely. Yeah.